Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And now, your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome again to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 69, and this is Masters Week. Very excited to see how everything is going to shake out at Augusta National this week. Looks like there was some early rain causing some problems for practice sessions, but I am sure that once Saturday and Sunday roll around, we will see the top names contending for the first major of the year. So if you're there, enjoy the Masters firsthand. If you're watching at home or throwing some Masters parties, enjoy that as well. Before we get to this week's episode, just wanted to congratulate our friend Haley Moore from the national champion Arizona Wildcats. A solid top 10 performance at the inaugural Augusta National Women's Amateur. Really looking forward to seeing what that event is going to look like each and every year at Augusta National. You know, along with the drive, chip, and putt, the Women's Am, the Latin America Amateur, the Asia Pacific Amateur... It really is impressive to see what a private country club in Augusta, Georgia is able to do globally for the game of golf. Also need to send some congrats out to my friends Brian Keenan and Paul Royak. They won the Cleveland Heights 4-Ball Invitational this past weekend in Lakeland, Florida. Really one of my favorite tournaments of the year. They played fantastic. They were the runners-up last year. Nice to see that they were able to take the title and put their names on the board. You know, I spoke about this tournament back in Season 1 during the Matt Parziali episode. You know, if you want to learn more about this event, you really need to check it out. So if you're in the Florida area, you want to see how a community rallies together to get as much money together as possible for junior golf, check out 4ball.org. That's the number 4, ball.org, and you'll get more information there. Mark Acock, Tim Darby, and their army of volunteers put on an absolutely fantastic event it's over 50 years old and i'm very proud to have my name on the champions board there outside the clubhouse and how did i play this weekend well you can really tell that i do a podcast because well we'll just leave it at that so you know the drill we're on facebook we're on twitter we're also on instagram at the back of the range podcast and this week on instagram We're going to be doing Masters Memories, so we're going to look back at all the previous episodes that we've had over the last couple years, rehashing some of the stories that we were told from our great guests. You know, do you want to know what Stuart Hagestad, a U.S. mid-amateur champion, felt like when he walked into Augusta? Do you want to know what Bob Murphy thinks of how the 10th hole is covered? Or maybe the book that Dottie Pepper reads each and every year before the Masters? Well, follow us on Instagram. You'll get all that information. And again, remember, all of our episodes are available at any time in Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Go to thebackoftherange.com for more information. So last week, just a couple days before he was set to leave for Augusta National, I was fortunate enough to get the opportunity to speak with Devin Bling. He is the 2018 U.S. Amateur runner-up, and that punched his ticket to the Masters and the U.S. Open. He's a sophomore at UCLA. He was all Pac-12 freshman team, and he rolled into his first U.S. Amateur last year at Pebble Beach, ranked 302 in the world. What happened next? Well, he got through the stroke play format and then went on to match play and had an incredible run, defeating players that were past top 10 amateurs in the world, a former U.S. junior champion, a former number one amateur in the world, and a Pac-12 rival. That got him to the final match against the eventual champion, Victor Hovland. We talked about the USAM. We talked about growing up in California and his home course of China Lake. And we also got into what it's like to uh, go to college in L.A. and play for the UCLA golf team. So let's get started. Devin, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for this opportunity. So feeling really good about talking about it <laughs> we're we're gonna have a lot of fun uh for those people listening saying i don't i don't know who devin bling is well by by way of his accomplishments last summer in the united states amateur he was runner-up to victor hovland he is going to the masters he is going to the u.s open this year devin before we talk about uh, you know the usam and the masters and all these great things that you have on the horizon um, I want to talk a little bit about UCLA. Uh, I, I know that you are a native of Ridgecrest, California. 
Ridgecrest, their population is about 30,000. The undergraduate enrollment for UCLA is about 30,000. Um, how did UCLA get on your radar of where you wanted to go to college? UCLA had always been a powerhouse in athletics ever since I was a little kid. So growing up, it was always one of the highest choices that I had for golf. Um, and through my junior golf years and the interest at UCLA and coach Freeman and coach Christensen and coach Larkin, coach Christensen was the assistant at the time. Sure. Now it's coach Larkin, but after they showed interest in me, then I was really excited that they were, that they were showing interest in me. And because that was one of my highest, highest schools on the list that I had. So that it was just ever since I was a little kid, I knew UCLA was a powerhouse in athletics and academics. And it was just one of the places where I've always wanted to go. Well, you go from, like I said, you're going from Ridgecrest, you go to LA now where, I mean, there's 4 million people that live in Los Angeles. I know there's no language barrier or really big cultural barrier. You're just about, you know, two and a half, three hours away from home. But what are some of the things that really hit you uh, once you got on campus, once you got in LA that just <laughs> reminded you pretty quick, like, wow, I'm, I'm not at home anymore. Well, uh, the first one's gotta be the traffic. Okay. I am, I'm not used to driving three miles and it taking an hour and a half. Oh God. I'm not used to that. Usually, you know, back home, three miles is five minutes sure. or not even. So you just, you know, you have something at seven o'clock and you leave at six fifty-five. So here it's you have something at seven o'clock and it's five miles away. You're leaving at five forty-five. Yeah, that's so it, it's that's that's the biggest thing that I've noticed. Um, I'm really enjoying being here. Other than that, though, it's really culturally diverse. So I get in, introduced to a lot of different things. But yeah, that was definitely the biggest thing. And secondly. There's so many more restaurants here. There's so much, so many more choices for food. Oh, I bet. At home, you know, it's one to two restaurants that we're just cycling through each week. And here it's just, oh, what do I want today? There's all this different types of food and just never gets boring, I guess. Yeah, you're probably going to need to be at UCLA for at least four years to try and hit them all. So you, you, got, your work, yeah. you got your work cut out for you there. Um, I do. You know, going from Ridgecrest, your 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 home courses. I I'm I mean Wilshire, Brentwood, Bel Air. I mean these are the elite country private country clubs in L A. Um, before I ask you about just getting out on those courses on a daily weekly basis, let's talk about China Lake. So China Lake is the one golf course in Ridgecrest on the Navy base. It's pretty much the only golf course within. 60 miles, 70 miles of either direction. And because it's the only, it's just the one little municipal golf course that was built, you know, on the Navy base. And I've been playing there since, since I can remember it. Sure. Since my dad took me out when, about, when I was about five. It's not in good condition. Okay. It's really average, but because of it being such a small town and being the only golf course, everybody knows me there and they would see me practicing and, and doing all that different stuff. And at the course, so it became like a little family on that golf course and they would allow me to do pretty much anything. Like if I wanted to hit balls, like I didn't have to hit at the range, I would be able to take a shag bag onto the golf course and hit onto the greens. So it was in one way, it wasn't great because of the conditions, but in another, it was, it really helped my golf game. And ball striking wise, because when I when I see really nice lush grass, everything looks propped up and teed up to me. Sure. But yeah, that China Lake golf course built my game to what it is today, and just that little uh, little golf course, the only golf course in Ridgecrest. I'm really grateful for it. Well, and the reason I wanted to bring that up because you know we have you know juniors and parents of juniors that listen to this podcast. And in junior golf, it may, you, there may be that certain way that parents may think that here's how my kid is going to get to college and play collegiately. We have to get the the best facilities and the best equipment and the best coaching and 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 perfect country clubs to to belong to. And and it, there isn't just one way. There's multiple ways. And you're proving that you're 
you're accomplishing things on the amateur level. You, you're runner-up in the USAM, and you're telling me basically you're coming from a course where, I mean, there's just no – Is I mean, tell me how the conditions were. Like, what did you have to do to sharpen your game at, at China Lake when you don't, I'm assuming, have – the best range balls, the best grass, the best greens. You know, what were some of the things that you did to, to improve your game? So in the summertime, my courses, everything other than the greens are Bermuda and the greens are bent grass. Okay. So in the summertime, you know, the fairways turn green because the Bermuda likes the hot weather. It's extreme temperatures. It's like 115 in the summer and, you know, low mid-30s in the winter. So in the summertime, the golf course got green sort of like pretty green okay. to what I would, I would consider green at the time. But the trade-off was, is that the greens got really slow because we weren't able to cut them very low. So most of my putting practice would be, I wouldn't practice a lot of lag putting at my golf course in okay. the summertime. Right. Um, I had my dad, my dad bought me uh, like a putting mat at home that would roll quite a bit faster. So if I was hitting anything outside five feet, I would put on that. But at the golf course, I hit a lot of, you know, putts inside five feet because those are really, you're hitting them pretty much, to me, I hit them one speed and I choose the break and that's how I hit those putts. So I forgot to practice those there, but in the summertime, that's when the, I guess the best grass would be on the golf course. But like I said, it'd be kind of long because we didn't want to burn the entire course. We had done that before. Okay. Um, now in the winter, as it transitioned out, the Bermuda hates the, hates the cold weather. So as soon as the winter comes around, the golf course turns completely brown and gold. So there's, it's no, no grass. The only thing green is the green itself. And the problem is the Canadian geese fly in in the wintertime and they, they like to eat the grass on the golf course. And what they do is they completely tear the golf course up from, they rip the grass out of the roots. And then the rabbits come on to the greens and chew up the greens majorly. <laughs> so in the wintertime, we have no grass and extremely bumpy greens, like very, very bumpy greens. So they're all chewed up. There's patches missing and stuff like that. So that's what I have to deal with in the wintertime. However, I took the, um, the best thing that I did was I hit off those fairways and I told myself if I can hit off those lies, when I come to a golf course that has grass, that's going to be no problem. Oh for me. yeah, you could you you could do anything if you're hitting off of that stuff. Yeah, so I'm I'm basically hitting off of hay and loose grass that the wind would be able to blow off the ground when the wind would blow. So I just practiced hitting a lot of golf balls with irons and everything, even driver off the deck off of that stuff because I knew when I get to a place where there is nice grass and nice greens, then it would be no problem for me. I would think this is really nice. You realize what you're doing here is anytime anyone in history has ever said, ah, I just can't practice there. They don't have any grass. I mean, no one can ever use that excuse with what you've been able to do at China Lake and to get where you've, where, where to accomplish the things you've been able to accomplish. So, <laughs> I mean, and then coming to, to LA, what did you think when you saw the practice facilities and the courses? You're just thinking to yourself, this is, I'm in heaven. How did this happen? Oh yeah, no. I I thought they were incredible. The first time, the first time I saw LA Country Club, I was in awe. Like I, I just was like, "Whoa, this is unbelievable!" Because you know, there's the greens are smooth and the grass is nice, and I was like, "Wow, I'm not used to this. This is incredible." And this basically every course I play over here, it's just it's leaps and bounds condition wise better than home. Sure, and that's why coming here then I whenever somebody else or you know one of my friends or something would say wow that's not a great lie I'd be like what are you talking about this is great <laughs> that's, I haven't seen this in years that's that's awesome that's awesome so you're um so you're joining yourself on the team you know you guys actually were recording this just right the week before you, you head out to Augusta you know you guys had a really great victory out at Chambers Bay um you know 12 shot win you know 12 shot team win um, you know, Hide Yoshihara, your your teammate, finished first. You finished T two, just two shots back. I mean, sounds like your game's kind of really rounding up. But I actually wanted to ask you. You know, the last time anyone really, uh, or last time I was ever thinking about Chambers Bay was during the U.S. Open, where they had all those, uh, you know, really rough conditions. I guess for for the pros, nothing's rough for you. But 
Um, I know that I know they redid the greens. What can you tell me and people listening that know what went on at Chambers Bay a few years ago? How were the conditions at Chambers Bay? The conditions were were actually greens wise. It was a lot better than the older fescue greens. That's what I've heard. Yeah. I never played the older one, but they the the literally the course had opened up a couple of days before we showed up, and so the greens were really new. So they hadn't grown in yet. So it was almost like playing on astroturf okay. in a way. But they definitely did, according to others who had played the other course, they rolled a lot smoother and a lot straighter than the old greens. They, since they were new, they were a little slow, but they rolled pretty, pretty nicely. And there were, you know, a lot of slopes. It was my first time out there. And I, and knowing that I'd watched the U.S. Open in 2015, it was just really nice to be out there. And it was, it's just a, such a great property, Okay, huge property, yeah. great views and really good golf course it almost the lies on the fairway weren't great and uh it was a little sandy and it's just the the typical fescue grass cut low and honestly it was nice to me yeah i was gonna say <laughs> I, I had no problem with it and ball striking wise yeah I, I hit the ball incredibly well and i was super proud of he day for winning he played incredible i shot 62 in the second round yeah uh, that is not easy to do on any course no matter how easy it is yeah, so but... I was super proud of him, and uh, yeah, I was just I was proud of myself for just applying a little pressure on the final day, and I played well overall throughout the whole tournament, and it was actually a good confidence boost going the next week. Absolutely. Well, 69, 66, 67, those are three great scores, and um, you know, as you said, it leads you right into uh, into next week at uh, at Augusta National at the Masters. I wanted to just before we go on and talk a little bit about what got you there, the USAM and and about the Masters. I just wanted to touch on your assistant coach Andrew Larkin. I know that you have a, a you know, he joined around August 2015 uh, at, at UCLA. You signed uh, at at UCLA around November 2016. I know you wanted to go to UCLA. It sounds like that was your dream school from when you were very young. But talk about finding a coach that you click with. He's going to be on the bag for you at the Masters. He was on the bag for you at the USAM. Explain the relationship that you have with Coach Larkin. Me and Coach Larkin, uh, like you said, we just click really well. And when we're on the golf course, we work together really well. Um, and whenever I suggest a shot, like he's not afraid to tell me, like, okay, that's probably not going to turn out well. Okay. Uh, and that's what I like. I, I like having that back and forth between me and my caddy. I don't, I just don't want my caddy to always agree with what I'm saying. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, he's always pushing me to be better. Uh, he's, and one thing he does really well is he keeps me calm and he looks things, looks at things as a whole in, in perspective where like, if I hit a bad shot, you know, I'd be upset with myself and, you know, why did I do that? That's not, that's not, you know, I'm, I don't ever do that. Why did I just do that? Where he goes, Hey, look at it. Just it's one shot. You're going to play thousands of rounds of golf and it's one shot. You're going to hit one bad shot. So let's just move forward and let's try to get that up and down or let's try to make par from there. So he looks at everything in a really positive way. And that's one thing that kept me going throughout the USAM. Um, he's been really good with that and pushing me to be better and, and telling me off when I'm doing something wrong. And <laughs> well, yeah. that's why, yeah, that's why we work together so well. And that's why I wanted him on my bag for the, for the masters. And that's why I had him on the bag for the USAM. So we just, he's just always pushing me to be better and not just in golf, but in, in life itself. So he's just, we've, we've come together really close and we work really well. Um, I had, I had the opportunity to speak with him a little bit before, uh, we had a chance to talk today. So, um, give me an example of what a Devin Bling moment is. A Devin Bling moment would be, let's see, um, a huge one would probably be, I'm in the middle of the fairway. I've just come off a birdie on the last hole. It's a par five. This hole that I'm on is a par five and I've got. And I've got a right pin with water right. And my gut instinct is I'm firing right at it because I'm going to make eagle. And that's where uh, he, he comes in and he goes, okay, let's let's think about this a little bit. Uh-huh. You, you fire at, that, at this pin and you don't catch it perfectly. Now we're in the water and now we're trying to make par, whereas you aim this left. 
I've buried 50 or 30 foot putts before. I could make it, but I could two putt for an easy four. Let's, how about we make life easy on you and let's just go, let's just aim a little left of this flag. So it's just typical stuff like that when I, when, cause I grew up just firing at, at pins. Sure. I never went, you know, aim, aim that far away. I obviously I wouldn't do something dumb. If it was tucked away left, I would aim a little right, but I wouldn't honestly think about the percentages and, uh, for me, I'm I'm a pretty aggressive player. I like, you know, when whenever there's a par five, I've honestly have a hard time laying up. Okay. That's and I always like going for the green because if I have the distance to get to the green, my theory is, is why not get it to the green. And so that's where when he comes in and we talk about the game plan and and that's where he you know basically guides me on the smarter option. <laughs> And that's really helped my golf game uh, to this day. So that's that's usually a moment uh, where where he would definitely advise me against well advise against what I'm thinking. Yeah, he was alluding. Yeah. yeah, he was alluding to the fact that you'll do stuff like that, and then you'll you'll rinse one on your second shot and still figure out a way to make par. I got a good one uh, at the farms last year. Nobody was walking with me. At this point, so uh, Coach Freeman or Coach Larkin, they were walking with other players. And I knew that the game plan on the whole was to hit four iron off the par five. And, you know, I didn't love that play because I like hitting driver. Right. So I grabbed my, grabbed my four iron, walked back to the tee, and something felt off about what I was doing. I felt uncomfortable over the tee and over the ball. And, of course, like I make the swing, hit it straight out of bounds right with a four iron. And now I'm thinking, I, I, what am I doing? I, I literally have to re-tee right now, and I just hit four iron off the tee. I, I just hit it out of bounds with a four iron. So I was kind of in shock of right. what I just what I'd just done. So I walked back over to my bag, grabbed another ball. I was about to take four iron back to the tee. And I was like, you know what? If I hit driver and I hit a good one, I can get to the green. And so I, instead of reteeing with a four iron or maybe in a five iron just for safety, I grabbed driver and went back to the tee and I, I actually smoked a driver down there and I had two fifty five into the wind uh, with water all the way down the right. So I could have made a huge number on this hole. Of course. But again, I, but again, nobody was walking with me. So I was, <laughs> I was basically going with my gut feeling. So I grabbed a three iron and the wind was off the right a little bit and I aimed it over the water and had a high draw. And it came off perfectly, and I hit a high draw of like three feet and made that for par. So nobody had any idea of what I had just done on that hole, except obviously me and the group members that I was playing with. But when my when Larkin came over and asked me, you know, how's the first couple of holes going, I was like, oh, I just started off, you know, par, par, yeah, par. Nice. And and nobody had any idea, but yeah, that's just I just whenever I I like you said I rinse one or something I'm always looking at the opportunity to try to make a ridiculous par or get it up and down from somewhere crazy. I love that challenge. So I've I've done that so many times. Like I've yeah, I've done that where I've I've hit a ball into the water and out of the drop zone I've got up and down for four or bogey and I've you know instead of making double I just made bogey and or like that instance where I knocked it OB off tee with an iron and then I hit driver three iron and made par right. so that's that usually that's like the crazy typical Devin bling moment i guess who uh who ratted you out with did you rat yourself out with how you made par or did someone else rat you out i mean did you want to like did you want to walk up and brag about it or were you like all right it's just a number on the card nobody needs to know nobody saw anything um to to coach larkin i i had to say something <laughs> i was i i said coach like what do you think i just did on the last hole <laughs> he was like, what'd you do? And I was like, well, I hit an OB, then hit the fairway, knocked it on and made the putt for par. And he's like, you're, you're insane. <laughs> like that's, that's crazy. This, this is why you can't be unsupervised basically is what you're, what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, it worked out that time, but now that I think about it, you know, that could have gone, I could have hit the driver out of bounds because it was such a tight fairway. I could have hit the driver out of bounds and, you know that then I'm making you know 15 on that hole. Oh yeah, but, you could have you could have made a, a pretty big mess. Um, oh yeah, that's awesome. What uh, 
<laughs> that's just that's just great because I love the fact that you're like nobody was with me. I I was yeah. left to I was left to my own responsibility, and I can't be trusted. So. <laughs> You know, you head over to the USAM. I know you've you've played in a couple of U.S. juniors. Uh, you qualified back to back for two U.S. juniors, made match play in those, and and then you know you you get started with the USAM. This is your first time qualifying. Um, you know, you get in in a I mean, you know, really competitive uh, qualifier in in San Diego. I think you shot about you know one thirty three or something to to yeah to medalist. So you, you play great to get in. You're at the time you're ranked number 302 in the world. Um, you know, solid player in the Pac-12, but I would imagine you're you're not at the top of people's list. Um, the no, the the players that you beat in match play, it's just absolutely incredible. I mean, Shintaro Bond's already turned pro, but he was a former top 10 aimer in the world. Noah Goodwin mm-hmm. won the U.S. Junior in 2017. Davis Riley, two-time All-American, that's in the quarters. You beat Isaiah Salinda. You know him well. He's he's at Stanford. Um, mm-hmm. I watched a lot of the video on Fox of you playing these matches, and you would think that you've been there many times because you just look like you're absolutely confident in everything you're doing. Did you did you have any sort of a feeling whatsoever starting in, or did things just kind of snowball and grow from from match to match? Um, it, it just kind of grew from match to match. I didn't, I didn't come into that tournament with any expectations because it was my first USAM, and I was really hoping to qualify for this one because of that pebble, and I've always wanted to play pebble. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I didn't get off to a great start in stroke play. Um, I didn't play too well at pebble, and then I played really well at spyglass. And I think that's when, that's when the confidence grew a little bit because I, I struck it really well at spyglass and that was the harder of the two courses at the time because the rough was up the greens were fast everything and i struck it really well i hit the ball incredibly well and for me to do that in the second round of stroke play and and shoot under par at spyglass when not a lot of people were that was a good confidence boost for me but as soon as i got into match play it match play is a completely different beast it's sure. it's a whole nother pretty much game and now now you're basing your decisions off what your opponent has just done so it was different i i've played you know a little bit of match play in junior golf like like you said in u.s junior and stuff and i wasn't too successful in the u.s junior so i just kind of took it one hole at a time and i got off to a really good start won the first match five and four and then then the next day was that 36 hole day so again i was just like it's going to be a really long day just taking one shot at a time and coach larkin was on the bag at this point and so he had scheduled tea times to play with his buddies at different courses around in monterey at the time okay and as soon as i won the first match i was on the 36 old days like all right i gotta cancel one tea time and he's like hopefully i'll be canceling tea times all week right and this is i think tuesday at this point and so he, we played that day, and I played Shintaro, who's obviously, you know, a great player. Yeah. Super. And tough match, and we were battling back and forth, and, you know, I won on the 18th hole, and it felt really good to win that match. Cause I was like, wow, now I'm in, you know, to the round of 16, or, yeah, 16. Yeah. At this 132. So I was playing Noah Goodwin. I've played him a couple times in junior golf and also know he's a great golfer and it was just one of those things i said let's just take it one at a time and as i was playing i was hitting it really well so my confidence was slowly growing and uh, i was playing noah and i hit a good putt on 17 it lipped out missed it uh he made par to go one up on me going to 18 and i even though he was one up i was like i can still win this match it's still possible. And we get to 18 and the greens are really bumpy late in the day. And, you know, he missed a shorter putt to give me some life in the, in the match. And we got to the, I think the 20th hole and I hit it to a foot to beat him. And that's when I started to realize like, Oh, I can do this. Cause I just, I just won the round of 16. I'm into the quarterfinals and my coach is like, bling, you know, you, we can do this. And, that's when I started to believe. Yeah. I I always believe in myself. That's one of my, one of my models, but 
the confidence that I had and the belief at that moment was overwhelming. And as soon as I won that match and I went to sleep that night, woke up to play Davis, he was former number one in the world. And yeah. I talked to a couple of my teammates the night before. They were pretty, pretty proud of me. They had watched the match and they were just like, you can, you can win. Like just believe in yourself. And that gave me a boost. And when I played Davis, just, it was, that was one of the best. That was a great match that I played against him. It was a battle back and forth. It wasn't playing easy that day. And, you know, I got up and down on 18 for the win, and I love being in that situation. I love being able to – I've always dreamed about, okay, getting up and down or making a four-footer to win. And and on that four-footer to beat Davis, uh, I was extremely nervous, and Coach Larkin knows that. I was standing on the green, and I was like, wow, I'm shaking. And he was he did a, he did a great job in calming me down. He was just like, you've made thousands of putts like this. Just You just got to make one more. And that was huge for me, and I knocked it in, and – and then, you know, I get got got into the semifinals and that's when I was like, I'm I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna go all the way. Um, is the semifinal match at the US Amateur, I know you've only been in one of them and you won it, but is that the most nerve wracking match that you can probably play in as an amateur, knowing what's on the other side of winning that match? I honestly forgot at that point. I did, I wasn't even, I didn't even think about the Masters of the U.S. Open. I I completely forgot about those two things. I was just, and that's that's completely honest. I just wow. was there to play play golf against Isaiah. I know I've known him because he's played in the Pac-12. We play a lot. Yeah. And he's he's also an, a super great player. He's really good. And no, I I completely forgot because I was so into the moment of what was happening in that match. I. The only time I remembered was after I walked off the 18th green, um, winning one up, and and Coach Larkin goes like, "We're in the Masters in U.S. Open," and I was like, "I didn't even think about that." That's incredible. And that's absolutely that's, incredible. I mean, I I for you to be just so lasered in on 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 the match itself and the USAM, that's incredible. So you really put that out of mind. You're just thinking, "Get me to the finals." Yeah, no, at that point, I was so laser-focused on that semifinal match. And I almost think if <clears throat> if I put the, that thought of the Masters and U.S. Open in my head, I might have I might not have played as well because I would have been more nervous. Of course. I mean, obviously, I was pretty nervous going into it, but I would have been more nervous thinking about those two things. So I, I don't know what it was. I was just so laser-focused on that match and just trying to get into the final. And then end, I ended up, that was some of the best golf of my life I played that day. I mean, Isaiah shot, you know, I think four under that day. Yeah, I and think you I both shot five or, Yeah, we, I shot like five or six under, and he shot four under. And, you know, four under on, on that course usually wins match play 99% of the time. And I just played incredible golf, and he played incredible golf. It was honestly one of the most back-and-forth, most exciting matches I've ever been a part of that's what got my mind off all the other stuff is just, I was having so much fun just playing in this match and it just took my mind off everything else. Well, that's, that's incredible that, that you kept it together for that. And then obviously you go to the final, I know you drop it to, to, to Victor Hovland. I'm not going to ask you to go through each and every hole there, but I wanted to ask you, um, I mean, he, I think he was only down one hole, for the entire match play portion. Uh, he was just kind of, I think everyone ran into a buzzsaw when they faced you. And then it's almost like you kind of ran into a buzzsaw when you faced him, but tell me what, what happened on the first tee? Did you happen to forget something before you started? Yeah. So going into the final, I, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry. Can, can I, can, can we let, la- can we laugh about this? I'm sorry. I just, I, oh, no, yeah, no, it's, it's actually a funny story. And what happened is I, I had my strike line book, I thought it was in my bag, so I usually I usually have it in one pocket before I start the tournament. I put it in my yardage book and all this. So I I opened the pocket and I didn't see the book. This is the green. This is the green reading book, not the yardage. Yeah, this book. is the track line book, and I usually mark all the pin locations in there to see like what slopes are around the hole and where ideally I want to putt from. So uh, I I opened the pocket. I looked at Coach Larkin. And I was like, I don't even know where the book is. I think I left it in the car. So I ran down and told my dad and my dad and my, um, I think it was my uncle. They ran to the car and started just 
rotor tilling the car just trying to find this book. <laughs> and so I was, I was like, oh my gosh, like I, I need to get this book before it starts. And we're about to tee off in five minutes. And then I walked back and I was just like, you know, I hope they find it. I was trying to, I was grabbing a ball and marking my ball for the tournament. I opened the other pocket and it's just sitting in that pocket with oh, my golf ball. God. And I was like, wow, I just caused all that commotion for nothing. Cause it was all I had to do was open one more pocket. If I just checked my bag first before my dad just, uh, and everybody was like destroying the car, trying to find it, I would have been a lot, a lot more calm. And so that was just, yeah, I, I forgot that, that, um, I almost, I thought I lost that green reading book, the track line book before the tournament even, before the round even started. So that was, didn't get off to a great start there. Well, yeah, when you, you don't have that. I've, I've done similar things like that, and it is actually nerve-wracking. I think I've done the, that with, like, car keys and phones, and you're just, yeah, it's it's an awful, awful feeling, especially when you have to go play. And, oh, by the way, it's just the finals of the USAM. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, well, I guess it kind of kept things a little bit in perspective because, you know, you can always have a Devin Bling moment no matter what stage you're on. Things <laughs> get a little bit lost. So obviously, you know, you know, you're getting into the masters. Um, you, you had a great summer after that. Obviously you win the California state fair amateur. Um, how have your teammates kept you grounded? Um, you know, knowing what's in store for you this year. Um, are you just, they, they kind of treat you as just one of the guys. It's just normal. It just goes, went back to normal. Um, obviously they knew I was playing in the masters and US open and they would say it like at sometimes and <clears throat> they would, you know, they're really excited for me. We're all, we're all super tight and they're really excited that I was going to be playing in the masters and U S open, but yeah, just, it just went back to normal. They, they kept being the great teammates that they are, kept pushing me. We have these little matches for punishments and that just never changed. Even after the USAM is just, it went back to normal and that's probably how it stayed grounded. They, they did a really good job of doing that. Explain to me, uh, if you can, as as nicely as possible, what can you tell me that that people need to know about Eddie Lai? Because I, 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 I'm guessing if I mean as an outsider, I've never met met your team, I've never been around your team, but just by looking at the team photos, checking out you guys on Instagram, that's the guy I need to hang out with, isn't it? Oh yeah. You need to <clears throat> need to spend a day with Eddie. Okay. It is. I've never met anyone like him. He's he's incredible. He's like the most happy and and jumpy and excited person I've ever met. I've never met somebody else like Eddie, and he just brings that aspect to the team, and it really helps the team. But yeah, you need you need definitely need to spend a day with Eddie. Are there are there Eddie Lie moments that that are similar to Devin Bling moments? There there are. He's not a he's not a, tro- a problem starter though. <laughs> okay. he, definitely not. But he definitely isn't afraid to show his emotion. Like if I if I make a putt, I was I think uh, I was watching the highlights for the USAM after I had played just to see you know what the TV coverage was like. And every time I made a putt, like don't, I heard Eddie. Oh wow. Everybody else was, you know, clapping and cheering, but I heard Eddie every time. And that that's Eddie. Yeah. Like, that's all I can say. That's just, that's just Eddie. And he's, and I'm glad, though, like, I'm good friends with him. Because oh, yeah. he's, he's just, yeah, I, I really don't know how to explain it. He's just, he's just Eddie, and that's how, that's how he is. But, yeah, I, I like to be around him a lot because he brings that energy. And he brought that energy at the USAM. I will have to go back and watch that coverage because I want to see if I can pick him out. Um, but uh, if you've heard him every time, then I'm sure I'll be able to. So you uh, will. Okay, good. Uh, so you're you're heading to the Masters next week. Have you played the course yet? I know that that you're going to get some practice in next week, but have you been there yet? Yeah, I've uh, I've go- I've taken five trips to the golf course. Nice. Already. There I you like go. That. There you go. Make them kick you out. They can't kick you out. Do whatever you want. I love it. That's great. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I went there. I used I you know I was there as early as possible. I left as late as possible. So I used all my. I think I was just there over my spring break. I think twenty fourth, twenty fifth, twenty sixth, and I played thirty six holes, thirty six holes, twenty twenty two holes, and because I had to catch a flight that last day. But 
Yeah, I played so much golf, and it's always been a dream to play that golf oh, course. Of course. The only time I've ever I've ever played it was on PlayStation. <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, that's the only time I'd ever seen the course. And obviously, I I've been watching highlights, and I've I've watched you know all the different masters and okay all the great shots, and I've literally that's just been I've I've been doing it every day. I watch something on YouTube or you know, some documentary on the masters every day. Okay. Interesting. Cause that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Are you a golf historian or a master's historian, or are you trying to keep the slate clean, so to speak, and just go in and enjoy it without any sort of maybe expectations or, or, you know, too much advice. I mean, sounds like you're just trying to take, you're trying to take as much information as you can. Yeah. So, um, obviously I'm going to go there and, and in, embrace, you know, the nerves I'm going to feel and, you know, the crowd and everything else. I'm obviously going to embrace and enjoy that and enjoy yeah. having my family out there and watching. But, uh, I was playing with Corey Pavin and I was lucky enough to play a round of 18 with him at Bel Air. And he, he basically said like, it's just another tournament even. Yeah. I know it's the masters and, and I know it's on, on another level and it's your first Masters, so it's okay to be nervous and it's okay to feel that excitement, but treat it just like another golf tournament. You're going out there and, and you're going out there to play the best you can. And that's one thing that I'm going to go out there and do is I'm, I'm going to leave it all out there. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to play, I'm going to give it my absolute best, no matter what the outcome is. I've prepped enough and I've sent, me and Coach Larkin uh, come up with a system where I send notes on every like six holes at a, in blocks at a time so the first six and then the second six and the last and the final six i send him notes on every hole so i've been watching every year's masters i've watched all the champions shots and stuff like that just to see where they hit the ball and and where they're placing the ball in the golf course because obviously it worked for them yeah um so i've been doing a lot of that and and getting a lot of information on the greens because the greens are extremely tough and I took those notes and went out there and played the practice rounds and yeah, I'm just basically trying to get as much information on the golf course as I can. Cause I'm going to go out there and, and do my best. And I know, I know no matter what the outcome is, if I feel as though I prepared to the best of my ability, then it's, it's a win for me. Absolutely. But, but, and if I went out there and I, and I know I didn't prepare properly and I, and I was lazy in my preparation, then obviously it wouldn't feel good because I know I could have done better. But I'm pretty much doing everything I can just to go out there and give myself the best opportunity to play well. It's great that you're utilizing, um, I mean, I wouldn't say it's modern technology, but, you know, we're in the age and generation where where it's all at your fingertips. You know, you can watch, yeah. I mean, YouTube's right there. And, um, yeah, there's that's that's fantastic. Any particular year that you've watched that maybe you watched more than once or twice i mean i'm I'm assuming you're a tiger guy right yeah i'm a big tiger fan uh but <clears throat> i've watched all of his 97 01 02 05 okay nice i've watched all those multiple times and, and just by watching this, i've seen the golf course actually adapt over the years it's gotten longer and there have been addition of trees and some of the trees like uh trees have been taken out and but yeah just he and i watched jack nicholas's 86 masters when he won um i watched you know phil's masters in 04 06 and 10 and you know i've watched even you know mike weir's masters in 03 vj's in 2000 i've watched everything i've just watched what each player has done and yeah, I've just I'm a I'm I'm a huge Tiger fan, so obviously I've watched all of his and I've and I've hit the chip that he hit in 2005. Oh man! And I just had to do it. I of had course, to do it. of course. And I had my caddy lay down the flag, uh, lay down that pin location, and I I had to chip ball so that using the slope that he did. And um, and, and, and did so, you get, did you get anywhere close? Oh yeah, I did. It's it's definitely possible. Okay, okay. It's it's got to be on the perfect line, but <clears throat> definitely possible. I hit, I've hit chips from there every time I've gone. So the five trips I've taken, I've hit probably five chips from that spot every single time, and just try just trying to recreate what he did. 
That's so cool. Um, so, so just I, just stuff like that. But yeah, I've I've watched definitely you know Tiger and Phil's Masters and even Jordan Spieth's Masters multiple times. Yeah. Uh, do you have uh, do you have practice rounds set up? Uh, right now, the only one I've set up is with Larry Mize on Monday. Uh, he's obviously a champion and he's got a lot of knowledge. So I'll be playing with him on Monday um, at 11 o'clock. So that's going to be good, but I don't have anything else set up. Obviously it would be a, it'd be an honor and a dream to play with Tiger for nine holes. Oh, sure. Uh, it would be an honor and a dream to play with like Phil or DJ or, or, you know, Ricky or Rory, just all those guys. And obviously there's only three days that I, that I can possibly do that. But I think if I get, if I can play with Tiger and, and DJ or Phil or somebody, that would be, that would be an absolute dream come true. That'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. Um, oh, yeah. you have, and, and the, the really great thing is about being an amateur is that, uh, I guess it's just ranks a little bit below, obviously being a past champion, but you have a dinner to attend Wednesday night, the night after the, uh, the champions dinner. So, um, you know, you've, you've been at several USGA events, you've had speakers, um, you're going to be at this amazing dinner of, of honoring the amateurs that are playing this year. I'm sure you're going to meet all these Augusta national members. You're going to meet past champions. You're going to meet a lot of people that are, you know, the world's best, but who would you like to be in that amateur dinner? If you could pick someone's brain there, whether they're a past champion or, or anyone, who would you like to maybe pop into that amateur dinner and share a few words? It would, it would have to be tiger. Yeah. That it's, I know it's cliche and all, no, but like, hey, it, that's your guy. It, that's your guy. I, wa- I've watched him since I was little and, and in the golfing world, like he's, I mean, I watched him playing the mental toughness and the fire and, and that desire to win every single tournament was incredible to watch. So I definitely want to pick his brain because, you know, he's done it better than most everyone to pl- ever play the game. It'd probably be Tiger and and probably Jack Nicholas. So it would be the two that I would most likely want to share a few words with. Luckily, I got to meet Jack Nicholas at the US Am dinner for a few minutes, but then that was an absolute honor to shake his hand. Those are two of the top ones. Well, you know, making the cut, I know, is a goal for everyone that plays the Masters. It really doesn't matter if you're a you know, amateur and, 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 you know, collegiate player from UCLA, or if you're a past champion, that's, you know, chasing a little more daylight before their career comes to a close, you know, making the cut basically gives you two more rounds at Augusta national. And, you know, that's something that money really can't buy. So let me throw some hypotheticals out at you and see where you land on this. So okay, I want to see if I can, I, I want to see where, if I can get you to crack here. Um, you're going to make the cut in both of these scenarios, but you got to pick one. One, you win the low amateur, or the other, you get to play Saturday and Sunday with Tiger Woods, but you don't win the low amateur. Which would you choose? Ooh, that's a good one. These are not going to get easy. I've been really nice to you, Devin, the whole time, man, but you, I, I've saved some stuff at the end here that, oh, yeah. So you can either win the low am, but you don't get to play with Tiger, or you play t- play Saturday Sunday with Tiger, but you're not going to get the low am. But you make the cut both times. You play four rounds. I'd want to win the low am. I'm very impressed. Good answer. Um, I know your brother is going to be on the bag for you at the par three contest. So, would you like to win the par three contest with your brother on the bag? You get that awesome trophy. You're in the record record books, or make the cut. I'm telling. I want to make the cut. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. How about eagling 13 and 15 on both days? That's four pieces of crystal or make the cut. Ooh. I'll tell you what, I'll, let me sweeten it. Let me see if I can get you to crack. I'll throw in a hole in one on 16. So 13, eagling 13, eagling 15 and a hole in one on 16, both days. Uh, I'm only going to give you one hole in one. I'm giving you five pieces of crystal, but you don't make the cut. But I don't make the cut. No, two days. But you get up. But you- <laughs> man, I must have been playing bad on the other hole. Uh, well, you know these things happen. These, yeah. Don't don't confuse the number. Don't confuse people with numbers. <laughs> Just you know, no. But yeah, no, so- yeah. The, 
I would I would honestly like to make the cut. Okay. All right. I, I see I see we're 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 reaching an impasse here. I'm not getting you to crack, but that's good. That's good. I like it. Um so we like to end our segments here at the back of the range with a little segment called the quick bucket. And it's a lot of random questions. I've asked questions like, what would be the more impressive victory? Tiger winning a fifth green jacket or Jack winning in 86? So I'll ask you that question. Which would be the more substantial victory, Tiger winning the fifth or Jack winning in 86? Tiger winning the fifth. Okay. So we're not going to go down the line of questions that I've asked other guests, but I'm going to leverage the uniqueness of your last name and get your get your feedback on some of the fashion things that we've seen in golf. Would you like to play the game of bling or no bling? (laughs) Yeah, I'll play bling. Okay, perfect. Uh, Tiger showing up at major championships with his hat backwards and sunglasses on and sleeveless t-shirt. Bling or no bling? Bling. Tiger's cargo shorts. No bling. (laughs) Uh, Calf socks. No bling. Okay. Uh, let's see. Wide brim visors. No bling. Push carts. Bling. Wedges stamped with more than your name or your initials. Bling. Phil's dress shirts. Mm, no bling. Neon lights under a car. No bling. Eddie Lie. Bling. Rory's gold shoes. Bling. Coach Derek Freeman's necktie. Bling. All right, the final one. Coach Andrew Larkin's dancing at his wedding that you attended. No bling. (laughs) (laughs) Devin, this has been awesome. I am so glad that you've been able to take a little bit of time out before heading to Augusta uh, to play in the Masters next week. I, I can't even imagine uh, just to be able to hop on a plane, head out there, and enjoy it. So best of luck to you. Enjoy the experience. Enjoy the experience with your family, with your coach. Uh, just take it all in, and um, hopefully we can catch up sometime after that. I'd love to get your thoughts on on the whole experience, but uh, seriously, enjoy it, and congrats. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And there you have it, episode 69. Special thanks to Devin Bling from UCLA for joining us for this week's special Masters edition. Enjoy the Masters. We will see you again next week for episode 70 here at the Back of the Range.